This year we've been on a journey with Jesus and his disciples through the gospel of Mark. And today we find ourselves in the middle of the 11th chapter where Jesus returned to the city of Jerusalem to cleanse the temple. However, in route to the city that morning, he cursed a fig tree for its lack of fruit. Let, let me read the story for you. It's in Mark 11, verses 12 through 25. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he, when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he says, it is not it written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priest and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you curse has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your, your sins. Let, let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you so very much for this chance that I have to share your word. And God, I pray that your son and his message will be uplifted in what I have to say. God, open our hearts and minds to the truths that you have for us today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. The first words that God said to Adam and Eve were, Be fruitful and multiply. He wanted them and other married couples after them to have children. However, God also has always wanted his people to bear spiritual fruit. I mean, back in the Old Testament, it was his desire that the children of Israel make a spiritual impact on the world around them. The Israelites were God's representatives to the pagan people living around them. And if those people were going to know the one true God, it would be through the faithful witness of Israel. Of course, the Israelites failed to be that faithful witness for God. They failed to bear the spiritual fruit that God intended for them to bear. And we as Christians today are God's people. And He wants us to bear spiritual fruit. He wants us to make a spiritual impact on the world around us. 
We are God's representatives to the non-believers living around us. And so if these people are going to know Jesus and his salvation, it will be through the faithful witness of Christians like us. According to Jesus, he was like a vine and we are like his branches. He said to his disciples in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then later he said in John 15, 7, he says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. Notice Jesus doesn't want us to bear some spiritual fruit. He wants us to bear much spiritual fruit as his disciples. That causes me to ask, how well are we doing in bearing spiritual fruit? Are we doing any better than the Israelites in making a spiritual impact on our world? As I reflect back over almost 50 years of ministry, I have seen some spiritual fruit. But to be honest with you, I haven't seen much spiritual fruit. And Jesus wants me and he wants you to bear much spiritual fruit. Some of the farm ground south of Christie's parents produced less than 50 bushels to the acres of corn this year because most of it was blown down in a windstorm. This is ground that usually produces more than 200 bushels to the acre. And let me tell you that there is not one farmer who would be content with 50 bushel corn. And I don't think we should be content with 50 bushel, a 50 bushel witness. We certainly shouldn't be content with seasons when we produce little or no spiritual fruit, especially considering that Jesus wants us as his disciples to bear much spiritual fruit for him. That's the reason that he dealt with the problem of fruitlessness in this morning's scripture, beginning with the fruitlessness of the fig tree. Look at Mark 11, verses 12 through 14. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. I know this sounds kind of strange, but Jesus was looking for a morning snack. He sees a fig tree ahead in full leaf. And when he got to the tree, there wasn't any fruit. All it had was leaves. Of course, Jesus, there wasn't any fruit because it wasn't a season for figs. The Passover was in early spring, and the figs wouldn't be ready till much later in the spring. Of course, what the Bible doesn't tell us is there is a small edible bud that appears on a fig tree in early March. And these could provide a snack for Jesus, but there were no of these edible buds. And because there was no buds, there would be no fruit later. 
The tree looked healthy and leafy, but it was not producing any spiritual fruit. And for that reason, Jesus cursed the fig tree, and the disciples heard him say, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. He did not curse the fig tree because he was hungry or maybe even because he was angry. He cursed the fig tree because he wanted to teach his disciples a lesson about spiritual fruitfulness. It is possible for us to look spiritual. We may even claim to be spiritual, but we can bear, maybe at times, no spiritual fruit. I mean, that was the very fruitlessness that Jesus found at the temple. Look at Mark eleven fifteen through 17. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The temple area in Jerusalem was divided into four parts. There was the temple building itself with the holy place and the holy of holies. There was the court of the Jews reserved for Jewish men. There was the court of women, where the women could go. And then there was the court of the Gentiles, which is the only place in the temple area where the Gentiles who had come for Passover could pray and worship. But the court of the Gentiles had been turned into this huge marketplace with all kinds of merchants and money changers. The merchants were selling sacrificial animals at high prices, taking advantage of those who had come a long distance to Jerusalem. And the money changers were exchanging different kinds of currency for special temple money at a high exchange rate. This special temple money was required to make purchases at the market as well as to pay the yearly temple tax. It is obvious that the Passover had become this big money maker for the Jewish religious leaders, though it may have appeared to be a large religious gathering. It was just like the fig tree with no fruit. It had the leaves of religion but had no spiritual fruit. And that's what angered Jesus. And so he knocks over the, the tables of the money changers, the chairs of the merchants, and he stops everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And he says, it isn't written in the scriptures that my house, my temple, will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Jesus was basically accusing the Jewish religious leaders of defiling God's holy temple. It was to be a place of prayer and worship, and they had made it a place of dishonest profit. It wasn't what God wanted for his temple, and it was not what he wanted for these religious leaders. Notice in Mark eleven eighteen how far off base these religious leaders were. It, it says the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. 
These religious leaders, out of fear and jealousy, were looking for a way to kill Jesus. He was a threat to their power and their pocketbook. And in their minds and hearts, he needed simply to be eliminated. I mean, you talk about having a lot of green leaves of religion with no spiritual fruit. These Jewish leaders had a lot of green leaves of religion, but no spiritual fruit. And again, it is possible for us to be like these religious leaders. We can have the green leaves of Christianity. We can busy ourselves with all kinds of religious activities and yet not bear any spiritual fruit. From God's perspective, we can be as fruitless as the fig tree, as fruitless as the temple worship, and as fruitless as these Jewish religious leaders. That's the reason that Jesus went on to teach his disciples three key ingredients to fruitfulness. Three key ingredients to fruitfulness for them and for us. See, Jesus doesn't want us to be fruitless. He wants us to be fruitful. The first key ingredient to spiritual fruitfulness is we need to have an active faith in God. We pick up the story, Mark eleven nineteen through 22. When evening came, they went out of the city, and in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. In other words, Jesus was saying to Peter and the other disciples, if you want to be, if you don't want to be like this fruitless fig tree, have faith in God. That, that phrase is in the present tense, which means that Jesus wanted his disciples to have an active faith, an abiding trust in God. That's what was missing from these Jewish leaders. There were all kinds of religious activities, but they did not have an active faith in God. They, their trust was in themselves and what they did, and not in what God could do in and through their lives. No wonder there was no spiritual fruit. And that may explain... Why, why we might have little or no spiritual fruit in our lives. Our faith may not be in God, it may be in ourselves. We can be trusting what we can do instead of trusting what God can do in and through our lives. I go back to a verse that I shared earlier. Jesus' words in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. According to Jesus, at one end of the faith spectrum is an active faith relationship with Jesus. We remain in him and he remains in us. And when that happens, we bear much fruit. However, at the other end of the faith spectrum is an inactive faith in Jesus. We are living our lives apart from a relationship with Him. And when that happens, Jesus says we can do nothing. We can't bear any spiritual fruit. Now, all of us are somewhere. We are somewhere between an abiding faith in Jesus and an inactive, dormant faith in Him. 
And the closer we are, the closer we are to an active abiding faith in Jesus, the more spiritual fruit that he can produce in and through our lives. That's why we need to ask God for a greater and greater faith in Jesus because a greater faith will produce a greater harvest. And remember, he wants us to bear much fruit. And that requires, first of all, an active faith in God. The second key ingredient to spiritual fruitfulness is we need to pray impossible prayers. Just listen to what Jesus said, Mark eleven twenty three and 24. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believing what he says will happen, it'll be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. When the disciples heard Jesus talk about prayer, and about praying to move mountains, they would have thought as we do, man, that's impossible. And it is impossible. But Jesus wanted them and us to know that we have a God who specializes in the impossible. I like something that the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more, then all we ask or imagine according to his power that is work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What powerful work verses. God is able to do far more than we ask in our prayers. He is able to do far more than we imagine in our dreams according to the Holy Spirit power that is at work in us as Christians. And all of that to the glory of God in the church and in Christ Jesus. You know, this makes me wonder about what we're asking for God to do in our prayers. It also makes me wonder about how we're imagining Him to work in our dreams. I mean, are you and I praying God-sized prayers, or are we dreaming big God-sized dreams? Because it doesn't matter how big our prayers may be, or how big your dreams may be. We have a God who can do immeasurably more. And Jesus is telling us here in Mark 11 that when we pray impossible prayers believing in our hearts that God can accomplish them, He will do impossible things. As a matter of fact, Jesus is promising us here that whatever we ask for in prayer, believing that we have received it, it will be ours. Of course, the theme of this passage has to do with spiritual fruitfulness. And therefore, the prayers that we make, the theme of those prayers should have to do with spiritual fruitfulness. No one has ever handed me a blank check and told me to complete the check however I want it. I could just write in any amount. No no one's ever done that for me. And I don't believe that Jesus is handing us a blank prayer check here either, that we can ask God for anything that we want in our prayers. 
and that if we simply believe that we'll receive them, they'll be ours. You know, it didn't work that way for Jesus, who prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane the, the night before his crucifixion, that God would take this cup of suffering from him. But that doesn't happen. That didn't happen. Instead, Jesus committed himself as he prayed to doing the Father's will. He committed himself to bearing the spiritual fruit of salvation for all people, which he fulfilled by suffering on the cross. And those are the same kind of commitments that we must make as we pray our impossible prayers. Our prayers must be committed to doing God's will, and our prayers must be committed to bearing spiritual fruit in people's lives. Our impossible prayers must be all about what He wants, not what we want. Our impossible prayers must focus on bearing spiritual fruit for God. See, if we are to bear much fruit as Jesus desires, that requires second, praying impossible prayers. And then third, a third key ingredient to spiritual fruitfulness. And that is we need to express a loving forgiveness towards others. Look, look at what Jesus said in the last verse, Mark eleven twenty five, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Jesus was emphasizing in this verse that we can't be right vertically in our relationship with God if we're not right horizontally in our relationship with others. We can't be forgiven by God unless we forgive others of everything we hold against them. We, we can't be forgiven by God of our sins unless we forgive others of their sins. I mean, that's exactly what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. Forgiveness is simply not an option for God's people. We have been forgiven by God, and He expects us to forgive others. As a forgiven people, we are to be a forgiving people. Jesus has always wanted His disciples to be loving and forgiving. Plus, he knew that if his disciples were going to bear much fruit in others' lives, they would need a loving forgiveness towards others. Right now in our Bible study class, we're doing a special study entitled Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. And in our last lesson, we talk about seeing all people as an image bearer of God. Remember back in the beginning when God created people, He created all people, both male and female, it says, in His image. That means every person that we see is an image bearer of God. No matter who they are, no matter the size or shape of their bodies, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their sexual orientation, no matter their social status, no matter their political convictions. They are as much an image bearer of God as I am and you are. And Jesus died for them as much as he died for us. And people, they will never 
they will never know the love and forgiveness of God unless they see His love and forgiveness in us in our lives. It is one of the most powerful tools in our praying, asking for forgiveness as we forgive others. But it is also one of the most powerful tools in our witness. A loving forgiveness towards others is essential if we're going to bear much fruit, spiritual fruit for God. It is the third ingredient, key ingredient to fruitfulness. That brings us to our practical application. I always like to end here and just share with you some practical action steps that we need to do as a result of what we've learned. Now, number one, realize that Jesus wants you as a disciple of His to bear much fruit and impact others' lives for Him. I mean, He wants you and me to bear much fruit. That's what He wants. Now, number two, ask God for a greater and greater faith in Jesus that you might produce a greater harvest for Him. It is according to our faith that God will work in our lives and impact others. And so we need to pray just for greater faith. Number three, pray impossible mountain-moving prayers that focus on accomplishing God's will and bearing spiritual fruit for Him. And that's what our prayers need to be all about. We want His will, not our will. We want to do His thing, not our thing. We want to impact others for Christ. And then last of all, reflect the love and forgiveness of God in your life that others might know His love and forgiveness in, in their lives. Let's, let's pray. Dear Father, we thank You so very much for this challenging teaching today. And God, I pray that You will help us to honor Your Son as we respond. God, I pray for those who may never have accepted you as Lord and Savior who might be listening today. And God, I pray that you'll move them to decision of faith and let Jesus work in their lives and bring salvation to them. And God, I also pray that you will work in us who are believers, that are your son's disciples that we might bear fruit, that we might impact others. God, burden us for others. Burden us with making an impact in our world. That's our prayer. In your son's name, amen. We thank you so very much for listening today. We appreciate so much you joining us on Sunday morning. We pray if there's some way that we can minister to you, maybe a prayer request that you have, please contact us. You can contact us through our church phone, which is, again, 217-379-4443, or you can contact us through our website. There's a contact page at paxtonchurchofchrist.org. We'll be glad to minister to you as we strive to do every Sunday morning. Have a great week. We look forward to sharing with you again next Sunday.